I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in April of 2022. Today, we're gonna be talking about the outbreak of bird flu, which is causing the premature deaths of millions of birds, including wild birds, but especially domesticated birds on industrial egg farms. Since US factory farms are conducting horrific mass killings of tens of millions of birds exposed to the virus. Unlike most news stories that focus on this from a human, economic, or agricultural perspective, we're gonna be talking about it from the perspective of those who are most affected and are suffering painful deaths, the birds themselves. And we'll talk about the ways these grotesque mass killings are being conducted. My guest is Lori Torgerson-White, an animal welfare scientist and research director at Farm Sanctuary. Farm Sanctuary is one of my favorite nonprofits. For over 35 years, they have fought the disastrous effects of animal agriculture on animals, the environment, social justice, and public health through farmed animal rescue, education, and advocacy. They envision a world where sanctuary replaces exploitation. Their website is farmsanctuary.org. It has gorgeous photos of cows, chickens, sheep, turkeys, and pigs uh, who reside at their sanctuaries. Lori Torgerson-White is an animal welfare scientist and research director at Farm Sanctuary, where she works with the sanctuary residents, designing and implementing research to understand more about the inner lives of farmed animals. Before coming to Farm Sanctuary, Lori was Director of Research and Lead Animal Welfare Specialist at the nonprofit Mercy for Animals. She holds a Master of Science in Zoology from Michigan State University, where she studied animal personality. Prior to her work with Mercy for Animals, she worked to improve the lives of captive animals at the first research as the first research analyst at the Center for Zoo Animal Welfare at the Detroit Zoo. Since or she has authored peer-reviewed publications on animal welfare, personality, and cognition, taught university-level biology and nutrition courses, and traveled all over the world visiting farms to better understand the needs of farmed animals. Welcome, Lori. Thank you, Carrie. It's great to be here. Well, the bird flu has hit the USA again, and it's killing wild and domesticated birds. Can you tell us what you know about the recent outbreak and how it compares to outbreaks in the past? Yeah, so this recent outbreak, uh, the strain that is currently uh, sweeping through the country is H5N1. This is a highly pathogenic avian influenza. Uh, as of the April 19th was the last time I checked the stats, there were 202 cases in domesticated birds in 29 states. Um, that would be over 30 states if we considered the, the detections in wild birds as well. Uh, thus far, uh, over 28 million birds have been infected and um, what the industry calls depopulated or as, as you mentioned, mass killings have been conducted um, to, to wipe out those populations. Uh, so this is the worst outbreak since uh, the 2014-2015 outbreak. Um, during that time, uh, there were 232 cases in domesticated flocks. So it's possible that this year we could outpace um, the 2014-2015 out outbreak. Uh, and, and this year, the outbreak is primarily hitting um, the egg industry. So it's chickens raised for eggs um, less. Uh, it's also hitting turkeys and backyard flocks, um, but isn't hitting chickens who are raised for meat um, as, as much. Okay. 
And, and could you tell us how the bird flu or avian influenza affects birds? Like, is it often fatal? It is often fatal. Yeah, the mortality rates are really high. I've seen anywhere from 60% to 100% mortality rates. Wow. Uh, the, the way it affects the birds, the symptoms that they exhibit um, are often respiratory symptoms like gasping and nasal discharge. They'll have digestive symptoms like extreme diarrhea. Um, they will have swelling around the head, neck, and eyes. Their head and legs might um, end up with a purple discoloration. And then often rapid and sudden death um, is how the birds experience it. So it's an awful disease. So it's not just the same as us getting the flu or something, it sounds like. No, it's a lot more serious than us, us getting the flu. Yeah. And even, you know, in the cases where it has jumped to humans, it's also a lot more serious than humans. Wow. Okay. So even though we're using the term bird flu or influenza, um, it's a much more kind of virulent strain than absolutely used to. Okay. Yeah. You know, real quick, I won't go yeah. too deep into this, but there are two different kinds of avian influenza. There's the highly pathogenic avian influenza, which is what we're dealing with right now. And then there's low pathogenic avian influenza, which is going to be something more similar to a flu that we might just, you know, we feel a little bit sick and then we get better. Yeah. And so that, that also does circulate in the, in the um, domesticated bird population. Um, but this one is the one that's, that's much more serious. Right. And I've heard news reports of U.S. animal agribusinesses killing off, or they might use the government euphemism, depopulating their whole flock of birds, which is in the thousands or sometimes millions per factory farm. And this has collectively led to the killing of over 25 million farmed birds so far in the US, particularly chickens exploited in the egg industry. If the birds at their farming warehouses are exposed to bird flu, why do the factory farmers decide, decide to have all their birds killed as opposed to testing the birds and then treating any individual who's sick? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So first, I want to point out that it actually isn't the farmers who make the decision. Okay. Um, the government, so state and federal authorities, require farmers and, um, you know, animal agriculture companies to report cases of avian influenza. And then what actually happens is that the uh, authorities will require those birds to be killed and USDA representatives will actually come out to the farms and perform those mass killings themselves. So, you know, this is a, a situation where it really isn't um, the farmer at fault. Honestly, it's the system that is at fault in this case. And so speaking of systems, um, the reason why, you know, let's pretend that that wasn't the case and that the farmer could decide just to treat some of the, the birds who are sick. Um, you know, the system is set up in such a way that the farmer has to have thousands or tens of thousands of birds together in a shed in order to make any profit, you know, to have, to be able to support their families. And um, so the conditions that the birds are kept in at these really high numbers, really high stocking densities, um, there's very little genetic variance within the population of birds, which means that all of the birds are all, you know, pretty much equally susceptible to mm -hmm. the virus. Um, the conditions are often unsanitary as a result of keeping that many animals in a, in a confined space. And so when you have a situation like that, if you do have, you know, a handful of birds who, who get sick, 
um, it's going to spread really quickly just because of, of the system that they're in, the situation that they're in. Right. Um, so even if they were able to choose to isolate individuals, it would be almost impossible to, to test all of those birds often enough or watch for symptoms often enough to be able to isolate those birds and before the virus was able to spread. Um, and then given the current regulations regarding the mass killing of birds who have avian influenza, um, there's really no incentive to develop a treatment. So we don't actually, as far as I know, have a treatment, even if we were able to, um, you know, isolate and treat birds. And so um, like we've worked on the COVID vaccine vaccine so hard for us, but there's not a, a lot of vaccines for these bird flus. Yeah, you know, they do, they have actually been working on those vaccines, I think for decades. Um, but my understanding is that, you know, similar to the flu vaccine in humans where the, the flu virus mutates really yeah. quickly. So every year, you know, we have different levels of effectiveness of the flu vaccine. Right. That's my understanding as well. If, you know, as they've been trying to develop a vaccine for highly pathogenic avian influenza, um, it's really hard to target the right variant. Um, and so you don't, they, they haven't had success in, in the way that they would have hoped yet. And so some of the reasons that all the birds are killed is, is pragmatic because they there's physically too many birds to kind of separate them out and, and all of that. But would you say that the USDA or the industry's decision to kill the whole flock who's been exposed to a virus is really ultimately for economic reasons? rather than saying that, oh, we're killing them all as a humane attempt to put sick birds out of their misery? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's both. I will say, I think that the whole system needs to change. And mm -hmm. rather than, you know, killing millions of birds who are sick and are suffering. And so, you know, there is something to say about, about the suffering that they experience as a result of avian influenza. Um, the reality is also that this is this virus is is very dangerous if it's allowed to spread like wildfire then new variants um can arise in in that domesticated bird population and there's always the chance that those new variants can jump to humans you know have it's a zoonotic disease so they can jump to humans and if a variant has arisen that is able to achieve human to human transmission that could cause the next pandemic um so, so some of it is a public, like the USDA also potentially sees it as a public health issue, why the birds can't be slaughtered and then and sold for, for meat or eggs. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there's no, as far as I know, there's actually no, um, no chance of getting avian influenza from eating a chicken who had okay. avian influenza, but there is the, the problem of just letting this disease, um, you know, spread throughout the population and then have new variants come up. And if it jumps to humans, then it could be problematic. Um, I should tell you, so Farm Sanctuary has um, worked on this issue a bit. Um, so if we go back again to the 2015 avian flu outbreak, um, 50 million chickens and turkeys were killed uh, in order to contain the spread of the disease. Hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars went to reimbursing companies for that mass killing. And so rather than, you know, after that, we experienced that, what was that seven years ago now? Um, instead of developing a plan to prevent that from happening again, the USDA instead has continued to encourage the status quo 
and continue to encourage these farms to confine animals in these stressful, overcrowded conditions where the, this disease is going to spread. And so Farm Sanctuary has uh, joined forces with the Humane Society of the United States and Mercy for Animals to challenge the USDA by bringing forth a federal lawsuit that would require the USDA to consider a plan to prevent another avian flu outbreak yes. by tying these federal funds to the adoption of production systems that would give the birds more space and reduce the likelihood of a disease outbreak. So there is something that can be done differently right. here and economics absolutely are a part of, of the problem here. You know, it's a really, it's a multifaceted problem. And how do um, factory farmers or the industry, how do they, or USDA, I guess, how do they kill the birds at their farm or facility when they can't send them to the slaughterhouses? Mm -hmm. um, it, like if the birds have been exposed to the bird flu, because I know that's where a lot of the controversy comes in is like, oh, okay, well, you've got, you know, tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of animals, and now they all need to be killed at the same time. Uh, what are some of the ways that that they do this? Yeah, there are three main ways this is done. Um, they all result in extreme suffering for the animals. Uh, the first way uh, is called whole house gassing. This one is gonna be um, really common with um, egg in the egg industry and, what happens in this case is that they, they sort of seal up the um, house or the shed that the birds are kept in, and then they uh, pump carbon dioxide into the shed until it reaches a lethal level. It's usually somewhere around like 60% carbon dioxide is the level at which it will kill the birds. And so that will take about, um, like the time to death there can be almost 10 minutes. Um, it's really okay. aversive for the birds. That's akin, if I'll just use my own language, to a gas chamber, like a poisoning. It is. Okay. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Right. Extremely aversive to the birds. Um, you know, I've, I've seen mm. birds who are being killed using CO2 in the past. And um, as they start to notice the CO2, um, they start gasping. Yeah. Um, they start to sort of what looks to me like panicking, you know, flapping. Yeah, their course. It's an it's a awful way to die. Yeah. But, so that's one way. Um, the second way is, is using water-based foam. So what they do is they actually spray uh, firefighting foam into the barn. Um, this is gonna be something that would be more used more often if you have uh, chickens who are raised for meat because they're all on the floor of the barn. Right. And so they will spray the foam into the barn until it covers the chickens. And so it essentially drowns them. Um, is it just water or is there some kind of toxin in the foam? It's, it's firefighter foam. It's so it's not just water, it's water okay. based, but there are other chemicals in it as well, but there's nothing in the foam. Like there aren't chemicals in the foam that will kill the birds. It's really, they're, they're dying of, of asphyxiation. Oh yeah. Yuck. So obviously also horrible, you know, like both of these are ways that humans as humans, we think about you know, different ways you could die. And these are both awful ways to die in a gas chamber, like you said, or, or drowning, um, drowning essentially. Yeah. Um, and so that will take almost five minutes for to, to kill the birds once they are um, experiencing that. Um, the third way, so these first two ways clearly are horrible, but the third way is even more horrible than the other two. 
and um, it's called ventilation shutdown. And so it's abbreviated VSD plus. So it's ventilation shutdown plus. And what happens here is that if you have a chicken shed, you, you know, and you're trying to keep the birds alive, you have to keep the temperature at, you know, a comfortable temperature for the birds. So you have a ventilation system that's going to keep the temperature at, you know, whatever, 70, 72 degrees or something like that. Um, and so in this case, what happens is that they uh, seal up the house, turn off the ventilation system, and then we'll pump in, turn, turn on the heat and potentially pump in carbon dioxide. Although my understanding is that that happens less often because it's um, more expensive. And sometimes there are carbon dioxide um, shortages. And so in this case, uh, it can take up to four hours to, for the birds to die in this case. And they're essentially dying of, of hyperthermia. Are they like sweating to death? Like you're being baked almost? They're being baked. Yes. Uh, it would be like dying in a, you know, in a car that has been I, uh, like trapped in a heated car Yeah, with the windows up like greenhouse gas. Uh, yeah. And so that's the main way that, that this is happening right now is this ventilation shutdown of like the egg um, warehouses. Yes, I've seen quite a few, quite a few news reports where um, different companies are saying that this is the method that they're using. Um, And it's the one that is the most controversial. Uh, There was just recently um, an expose done by an organization called Animal Outlook, where they released a video um, that they had uh, obtained via, you know, government requests, FOIA requests um, of some university research that was funded by the poultry industry um, to look at VSD. And so the footage actually shows a chicken in this container being exposed to the conditions of VSD. And um, it it actually took the, the hens for it. So if it was VSD, so if ventilation shut down alone in that, you know, very controlled environment, it took 91 minutes for oh. the hens to die. When you added the heat, it took 54 minutes to die. So that's, um, and then when you actually like research that's been done on this in an actual commercial setting where you have lots and lots of birds, not just the one in this small container, you know, is hours is is how long it's taking. So, you know, if anyone is interested in, in looking at, um, you know, I would say if any of this is, is sparking anything in any of any of the listeners on you know the ethics of this industry mm-hmm. um and you want more information about what's happening right now to millions of birds in this country um that animal outlook uh expose is a good place to get yeah i'm going to link that on the facebook page for in tune to nature uh, that animal outlook um expose if you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. I'm host Carrie Freeman talking with Lori Torgerson-White, an animal welfare scientist and director of research at Farm Sanctuary. We're discussing the bird flu outbreak in the United States from the standpoint of how it affects the birds, since most people who cover bird flu in the news don't talk about it from the perspective of, or interest of the actual birds who are being killed in mass. So Lori, is there anything farmers or the USDA could possibly do to reduce suffering when tens or hundreds of thousands of birds on a single industrial farm are supposed to be immediately killed 
or is does the farming situation have to change because they can't um, they can't respond to crises in any humane way because of the fact that the birds are so crowded? Yeah, unfortunately, it's the latter, really. Um, the system is, I mean, it's working as it was designed, um, but it's it's oppressive to everyone involved. You know, our industrial yeah. agriculture system is, is oppressive to the, to the animals. It's oppressive to the farmers. It's oppressive to the slaughterhouse workers. It's oppressive to rural communities. It's oppressive to the environment. Um, and so we've created this situation where you know, you have so many animals packed into such um, a tight space and unsanitary conditions. Um, you know, in most cases, these animals are in barren barns with no access to natural light. Um, oftentimes in the case of the egg industry, they're in, you know, they're packed into battery cages, like six to 10 hens in one small cage where they aren't able to express any of their natural behaviors. And so the, the reality is that if a virus gets into a barn, it's going to spread. And so the answer is to change the whole system. That is like, which is a, is a, is a daunting task, um, but it's where we have to go and we have to start to take baby steps in that direction. Right, like, cause whenever I see news coverage, whether it's hurricanes or wildfires, um, floods and all different things, when any kind of crisis arises, or in this case, um, diseases, industrial farming does not seem like it can ensure welfare for individual animals because there's hundreds or thousands of animals under their quote unquote care at any time. And so they often just get abandoned and it's just some kind of insurance write-off or the taxpayers have to just pay for it. And they start again with a new kind of herd or flock of animals. So as much as they want to talk about welfare and everything, there's just too many, especially in the climate crisis, um, there's just too many extreme events. And when that happens, it just seems like they cannot care for individuals. So, I mean, to me, it's just all talk about animal welfare. Yeah. They aren't set up to care for individuals yeah. and animal welfare is an individual concept. Yeah. But the reality is that, you know, when the industry is talking about welfare, they're all often talking about health. First of all, they're not, yeah. you know, animal welfare is a holistic concept, which is going to include the the emotional experience of the animal, the physical health of the animal and the ability to engage in, you know, natural behaviors. But when the industry is talking about welfare, they are usually primarily talking about health and they're talking about health to the extent that they can get these animals to slaughter. Right. Like I'm keeping them alive so that I could kill them for money. Right. So right. Yeah, that's, right. Yeah. Right. that's not any kind of welfare uh, that I want kind of pointed towards myself. Now, I know we're running out of time, but I just wanted to briefly add this in because, of course, we're in the middle or, or hopefully not the middle, but <laughs> of our COVID pandemic. And so we've learned about zoonotic diseases. And then you touched on this before, but that we humans should be concerned also about bird flu because this avian influenza could spread to our own species, mm -hmm. right? And it has, I mean, it has before. So um, the most recent data that I've seen um, out of the CDC are that there have been, since 2003, there have been more than 700 human infections with H5N1 um, around the world. And that of those 700 human infections, 60% of, of the cases that have been identified, um, those people have died. And so, if this, like I said earlier, if this um, virus 
were able to mutate in such a way that it was not only able to jump to humans, which it's already done, but also to achieve that human to human transmission, which is what we have going on with, with COVID right now. It's why we wear masks. It's why we social distance. You know, it's why we're yeah. in school all the time. Um, if that happens, that and so if we have the virus jump to humans and achieve human to human transmission, um, it could be a catastrophic beyond what we can imagine pandemic. And so, you know, there are lots of scientists, there are, you know, health organizations that are, that will say that avian influenza is, is a huge risk with avian influenza has huge pandemic potential. And so we have to be more cautious. Yeah. I mean, right. This, and that's another reason to bring, to bring this up right now in the middle of a pandemic is that we're focusing a lot on how to recover, but not enough on prevention. So just as to wrap up in, in like 30 seconds, if people wanted to help farmed animals or help deal with, if they're upset about what they're hearing about um, the egg and poultry industry here, how can they connect with animal advocacy efforts that your organization Farm Sanctuary is working on? Yeah, so we have a website, farmsanctuary.org. Um, there's an action center there where um, folks can look at supporting a number of different issues that we're actively working on. We're on all the different social media platforms. So there, you know, you can find us in any of those places. Um, you know, I'd recommend that if, if this is, is sparking something in you that you can think about, you know, whether you want to continue supporting the, a system like this and, and think about starting to make small changes in your own life that can help you to better align with your own ethical perspective on these things. Right. That's why I've been vegan for over 20 years, because I don't want to pay for this. You know, I don't like that my taxpayer money goes towards this, but I can't really, I can't help that. But um, well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Lori Torgerson White, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. Thank you for the work that you do and, and your colleagues at Farm Sanctuary promoting farmed animal rights and welfare. Thank you so much, Carrie. It was great talking with you. Yeah, take care. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash to nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species like birds and chickens. Thank you for listening. Cheers.